This podcast is sponsored by Ball in Maidstone, your brand new luxury sports and gaming bar with American pool, table tennis, beer pong, live sports, delicious food and bottomless brunches. Kent Online News. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online Podcast. Nicola Everett. Hello, hope you're okay. Thanks ever so much for downloading today's podcast. It's Wednesday, December the 1st, and we're going to start with by far and away our most read story today. After we confronted some of the people who posted laughing emojis on Facebook when we first shared news of last week's Channel tragedy. 27 people died when the small boat they were in sank as they attempted to reach the UK. Now, we generally disable the ability to comment on these stories when they appear on Kent Online because of the posts that they do tend to attract. We can do a similar thing on Facebook as well, but we can't stop people reacting by using the like, love, care, sad or angry emoji faces. Now, just short of 100 people decided to react to the story with the laughing emoji. Ed McConnell took to social media to try and find out why. Well, Ed, thanks ever so much for being on the podcast today. A man who posts as Steve was the first person you contacted. What was the response? Yeah, so uh, Steve's first response was to... um I firstly didn't didn't know why I was contacting him, um, even though I, I made it clear. Um, and I tried to be as sort of balanced as possible in my original message. So I was just saying, you know, would you like to would you like to kind of elaborate on, on why you did this? Um, and his first response, yeah, was 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 to just question why. So I, I made it clear to him again, uh, and then he was just um, really from the get go. He was on the defensive, but he, he just didn't care. He, he didn't care about um, how it made uh, people feel, how if, if the families of those who died had seen it, how it would make them feel. Uh, and he made that very clear. I mean, he was he basically just doubled down, and that was a theme across uh, across the board, really. Now, you've got some facts and figures in the article today as well. I'm just going to run through them here. More than 200,000 refugees live in the UK compared to the 3.1 million living in Turkey, which has the most in the world. Last year, the UK received 36,000 asylum applications, the fifth highest number in Europe. Germany had more than 122,000 and France 93,000. Now, the UK's intake was 17th in Europe per head of population. Population. Now, Steve went on to say that asylum seekers are supposed to seek refuge in the first country they get to. Has he got that point right? Um, no, he hasn't got that right. Uh, he's um, he's wrong in that. And uh, t- to be fair, I don't think it's his fault. I think it's a uh, it's a common misunderstanding, and it, and it is fueled by um, political rhetoric. I think at this point, uh, we're always hearing, you know, they should seek refuge in the first safe country. Um, similar similar kinds of, of, of tropes and, and that's not true um, there's no rule at all in place that, that means that an asylum seeker has to seek refuge in the first uh, safe country they get to um, and, and safe is obviously a term that's up for debate anyway I mean to me a new safe might be something that's completely different for someone else uh, especially someone who's who, you know got family in a particular country can't speak a language you know, what does safe mean? So, yeah, he's got that wrong. But then a lot of people have um, as well. And I, I try, try not to be too harsh on, on these people because I think a lot of it is is kind of what they're being told uh, repeatedly. And um, that's not the case. Uh, I think when we were um, in the European Union, there was a bit more, um, there were a few more tools at the UK's disposal, uh, such as they, they could return people to the first country they arrived in if... Uh, 
if that country was also an EU member state. And also that, that original country's decision on their asylum claim was final. Um, but obviously we don't have that anymore either. And so was the response you got from the people you contacted what you'd expected? Uh, sadly, I think it was um, completely predictable, really. Uh, I am, uh, I'm not shocked um, at this stage. This isn't the first time this has happened, so there's obviously been tragedies in the past uh, on nowhere near the same scale. But there has always been um, that kind of undercurrent of, of pretty... Uh, pretty vile opinions and, and also just kind of laughing it off like oh you know I don't care um, I'm all right Jack that kind of that kind of view so no I'm not shocked and I'm also I'm also not shocked by how little uh, sort of genuine information they had uh, if any. And today's article has certainly got a lot of reaction too hasn't it? Yeah it's I think as you mentioned before it's it's by far been our best read story of the day um, which is good because you know it did, it did take a little bit of uh, research, obviously, and I, I think everyone chipped in, and uh, it, it, we wanted to kind of challenge that view, and I think that's what we've done. And um, the feedback's been overwhelmingly positive. Um, you know, the comments can sometimes be a bit toxic, but I think in general uh, they've been they've been pretty good, pretty positive, um, saying it's saying it's a good piece of journalism, and and that it brings to the fore these views and kind of exposes them for what they are, which is. Not, not backed up by any kind of facts whatsoever. Thanks ever so much, Ed. And you can have your say as well by commenting at Kent Online. Meantime, a group of MPs are urging the government to scrap its plan to turn back refugee boats crossing the Channel. They say the measure proposed in the Nationality and Borders Bill is likely to be unlawful. Labour's Harriet Harman chairs the Joint Committee on Human Rights and says so-called pushbacks are not the answer. What we can't and mustn't do is risk even more lives at sea. And that's why the two changes that we propose, which is saying that there can't be pushbacks by the border force at sea if people are in an unseaworthy vessel, and also that we cannot make it a criminal offence if people are just rescuing uh, people in danger of drowning. So those are two for, for, uh, for the outset, that we must change the bill. But also the committee has said that the government says that people are not justified in taking to the sea to come to the UK because they should be using safe legal routes. And what the committee has said is that there's no evidence that for many of these people there is a safe legal route. Indeed, for people coming from Afghanistan still, um, the Afghan resettlement scheme has not yet been established. So our first priority is to make sure there are not more drownings at sea. And secondly, we recommend to the government that they do more work to establish safe legal routes. The Home Office says they're looking at safe options to stop small boat crossings which comply with the law. The issue has also been raised during Prime Minister's questions today. Here's the exchange between Folkestone and Hythe's Damien Collins and Boris Johnson. More needs to be done to tackle the people trafficking gangs that exploit migrants across Europe promising to get into this country. But does the Prime Minister agree with me that it is totally unacceptable that companies like Facebook allow those smugglers to offer their services on their platforms, not only routes into the country, but also uh, selling them forged British papers in order to aid their access? Does he agree with me that when we pass this House, passes the online safety bill, we'll have the power to do more to make companies like Facebook take down content that promotes illegal activity? Minister, 
I, I thank uh, the right honourable gentleman. He's absolutely right that uh, too many of these gangs are using social media, and that's why the online harms bill is so important, and it will indeed be of assistance to us in taking down that kind of material. Kent Online News. Other top stories for you today, and detectives investigating the disappearance of a mum of two from Kent have found her missing car. Officers say they've recovered the white Mini Cooper belonging to Alexandra Morgan from Sissinghurst, who's not been seen in more than two weeks. Searches for the 34-year-old are also continuing. Our reporter, Sean McPolan, has the latest. I'm just at the roadside between Sissinghurst and Cranbrook, where police have gathered outside a residential home just metres away from the Wildsley Pound uh, Shell Garage, where Alexandra Morgan was last seen on Remembrance Sunday. There's been at least a dozen forensic officers that have um, been going in and out of the house, as well as one marked police car outside. Um, There's also multiple unmarked police cars where the officers have been going to and fro, um, as well as one bouquet of flowers sat outside one of the residential houses that the officers have been searching. Yesterday, Mark Brown, who's 40 and from Squirrel Close in St Leonard's on CNE Sussex, appeared at Lewis Crown Court charged with her murder. He's due at another hearing in February and is facing trial next May. A Maidstone man who sexually abused young girls has been jailed for 18 years. A court was told Irkvin's Alksness overpowered his victims and emotionally blackmailed them. The 38-year-old from Chillington Street had tried to deny it but was found guilty following a trial at Canterbury Crown Court. A Kent man's been charged charged as part of an investigation into an organised crime group based in Buckinghamshire. Terence Locke is accused of four offences, including conspiracy to supply drugs. The 65-year-old from Neptune Terrace in Sheerness is due to appear at Crown Court on Thursday. A teenage motorcyclist is in a critical condition following a crash near Sittingbourne. The bike he was riding collided with a tipper truck on the A249 Sheppey Way in Bobbing yesterday evening. A man's been charged after allegedly impersonating a police officer and threatening someone with a knife in Ashford. Officers were called to Beaver Road where a car reportedly crashed into a fence before someone in the vehicle made threats to members of the public. The 37-year-old suspect's been remanded in custody after appearing in court. Lecturers at the University of Kent have gone on strike as part of a dispute over pensions, pay and working conditions. Thousands of members of the University College Union across the country are walking out for three days. Owen Line is one of them. He's a senior lecturer in statistics at the Uni of Kenton spoke to our colleagues at KMTV. Staff salaries have been falling behind inflation for several years now and there are huge and completely unjustifiable equality gaps whether that's a black minority ethnic equality gap or a gender pay gap. There are also massive numbers of staff on casual contracts. I have staff who don't yet know whether they're teaching in the spring term don't yet know what they're doing, whether they will be earning some money, and that's no way to live. There's no reason for universities to operate on such casual contracts, zero-hours contracts, fixed-term contracts. Give people security, and our working conditions are the students' learning conditions. Look after us, then we can look after the students. And do you think students support the or do you think it's quite a mixed bag? There's certainly a mixed range. I can understand a student being upset that with the current model of marketised higher education they're asked to pay fees and then they'll feel they're not getting what they should. But they should be aware of what those fees are being spent on, whether it's high salaries on senior managers, whether it's being spent on buildings. It's not being spent on the staff, the staff salaries, the conditions, so that we can teach you properly. So we're trying to defend that education in the longer term. University leaders say they're well prepared for the impact on students' learning. 
The Kent Online Podcast with Ball in Maidstone. Next today, and an Insulate Britain protester from Kent says the idea of going to prison frightens the life out of him. Biff Whipster is due in front of a High Court judge after being arrested 17 times in two months for blocking roads as part of the group's climate campaign. He's expecting to get up to six months behind bars for breaching an injunction brought in to stop the protest causing disruption. He's been speaking to the podcast. I knew from day one that I'd end up in prison. I had no alternative. We've got, you know, 8,500 people in this country dying of fuel poverty because they just can't heat their homes. The government could fix that. They could also, in doing that, create hundreds of thousands of really proper jobs and reduce CO2 emissions, which is what you know every country on the planet needs to do. So with that knowledge, I can't not act. I can't sit at home comfortably in bed. So I knew from day one that I'd end up in prison. Well, I'm a regular person, you know, I'm a parent, I've taken my kids to school over the years. Um, yeah, so I, on an individual level, yes, I can apologise, but look, we've tried protesting, we've been outside Downing Street, we've done everything that we possibly can to get the government to act, to save our lives in this country, and they haven't. And unfortunately, disruption, non-violent, civil disobedient disruption, um, changes things, it gets governments to change things. We expected to be in prison after one or two, you know, one or two roadblocks. Um, it's bizarre that the government had, were too cowardly to put us away during COP26. They waited till after COP26 and we're now being prosecuted down a civil route. We're not even going to jail for sitting in a road. We're going to jail for breaking a bit of paperwork. Oh, it frightens the life out of me. It frightens the life out of me um, on every level you can imagine. Um, it's not something I ever thought I would be in a position to do going off to prison but what can I do as I say we've got people dying in this winter we'll have people dying with government inaction no with that knowledge I, it's all I can do is to protest and that means I've got to pay the price go to prison that's fine by me he's due to admit the offences later this month there are plans to turn a former pig farm in Kent into a solar park the county council want to spend three and a half million pounds on the project to help meet climate targets the Kings Hill solar park will be built near the Kent Scientific Services building in Westmoreland staff at a riding school for disabled people near Dartford say vandalism is pushing them to the brink fences have been kicked down and windows smashed with catapults at the Arrow Riding Centre in Darrenth Park Avenue. Volunteers also found a man living in the outside toilets for three days and say it'll cost thousands of pounds to repair all of the damage. At Kent Online today you can see pictures of a new development in Sandwich which is claimed has been built too close to neighbouring gardens. 56 properties are being put on land off Dover Road but one resident thinks developers have got their measurements wrong and put them too close to where she lives. The council say they're looking into it. A Canterbury fruit grower has been given permission to go ahead with a controversial plan to install polytunnels across 27 acres of farmland. Mansfield say more frequent and heavier rainstorms have been destroying cherry crops at their site in Chartham and the tunnels are needed to protect it. People living nearby had argued it would have an unacceptable impact on the countryside but the city council has given it the go-ahead. Kent Online reports. A young Dartford woman who called Childline as a teenager has described how they saved her life when she felt at her most alone. Holly had dropped out of school and been admitted to hospital after struggling with her mental health. She turned to the charity as one final attempt to get help. Holly is now 24 and has been telling me her story. When I was 16, I became very um, mentally unwell and I ended up being admitted to an adolescent psychiatric unit. And I was in that kind of first hospital for about six months. And it was the end of that admission that I first spoke to Childline. 
on the evening that I tried to take my own life. And I spoke to them that evening and they they saved my life and they spoke to me and they calmed me down. Um, and kind of over a period of about two years after that, whilst I was still in recovery, I spoke to them multiple times really quite regularly. You say that they saved your life. That's an incredibly powerful thing to say. What sort of support did they give you and kind of just how vital was it at that time in your life that you did pick up the phone and speak to somebody? I think specifically that night there wasn't anyone else who I felt comfortable talking to and obviously at the time I was incredibly distressed and overwhelmed and my emotions were all over the place and I was in hospital at the time and I'd been put in a side room whilst they dealt whilst the staff dealt with paperwork so I was just left on my own with nobody to talk to and I just sat and thought and I figured just give it one last shot of talking to someone and that's when I called them and I think that night they didn't talk to me about anything in particular they just talked to me about I suppose the outside world because I hadn't seen it for a while um and talked to me about my friends and things that I enjoyed and everything that just distracted me from where I was at that point in time how lonely do you think you felt at the time when you first made that call and do you empathize with other young people who might be feeling that at this time of year in particular yeah yeah I I felt completely alone and it was one of those things where technically I wasn't technically there were people around me and there were people that I could speak to but there was no one that I felt comfortable with so despite the fact that I was surrounded by people I felt incredibly isolated. Is this particular time of year coming up to Christmas where everyone's perhaps thinking family and all being together uh, did that when you were younger did that have any impact on you did it make situations sometimes a bit worse because you felt under pressure to be around lots of people everything that people focus on is you know it's time to be with your family and it's time to be with the people you love and the adverts of family sitting around dinner tables and friends going out and having parties and when you are stuck in a place where you haven't got that it feels even more isolating because it's bad enough knowing you're alone when you're not sure what everyone else is doing but when you know the whole world is spending time together you just feel like the one person left out. And I suppose even for, for some young people who are within a family setting, they might still feel very much that loneliness. As you said, you were around lots of people, but you still felt very lonely. For anyone who is feeling in that sort of situation at the moment, what would you, what would your advice be to them at this particular point? I suppose in my experience, the most helpful thing to me was speaking to Childline. I will always recommend that to everyone because I know what an enormous difference it made to me. I know that you've gone on to do some incredible things. Can you tell us what, what you're up to at the moment and where you are? Um, yeah, so at the moment I'm at university um, and I absolutely love it. And I mean, this year I've been able to go out and we went to see the Christmas lights switched on and it's just been lovely. And I never thought that these were things that I'd be able to do. And now I am. And I'm absolutely loving everything. Childline are urging young people not to feel alone in the run up to Christmas after last December saw them deliver a record number of counselling sessions for a single month. Well, if you do need to contact them, you can call 0800 1111 or go to childline.org.uk. That number again, it's 0800 1111. Some of the elephant sculptures that were on display in Maidstone over the summer have ended up as far away as Spain and the US. 
The 52 uniquely decorated Elmers were auctioned off to raise money for the heart of Kent Hospice. You can see pictures of them in their new homes at Kent Online. McFly's Tom Fletcher is going to be coming to Kent this weekend. He'll be signing copies of the latest book in his Christmasaurus series at Waterstone in Blue Water on Sunday. And the Warhorse author is going to be in Kent later talking about his writing and charity work. Sir Michael Morpurgo will be at the Golbenkian at the Uni of Kent campus in Canterbury. He's written over 130 books and also set up the Farms for City Children charity. The event is already sold out. Kent Online Sports. Football and England have thrashed Latvia 20-0 in Women's World Cup qualifying to secure their biggest ever win. Alicia Russo from Maidstone was one of four players to score a hat-trick in last night's game. However, England's boss says the system needs to be looked at as there's a chasm between top teams and the rest. Serena Vigman says scorelines like the one last night aren't good for the women's game. Of course, you want competitive games and these are not competitive games. Uh, and we want to develop, you know, the well-developed countries already and the countries that are not that far. Ellen White also scored a hat-trick to become England's record women's goalscorer. And in cricket, I'm afraid the weather has caused more disruption to England's Ashes preparations. Day two of their second warm-up game has been rained off with Kent's Zach Crawley in the England squad. They've only had about 29 overs of match practice since arriving in Australia and the first test begins a week today. Well, that's all from us for today. Thanks ever so much for listening. Don't forget, you can follow us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. You can also get access to the ad-free Kent Online premium site. To do it, just head to kentonline.co.uk forward slash subscribe. News you can trust. This is the Kent Online podcast. This podcast is sponsored by Ball in Maidstone, your brand new luxury sports and gaming bar with American pool, table tennis, beer pong, live sports, delicious food and bottomless brunches.